Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 199. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the highly talented and celebrated creative team behind Sister Grimm comics and series and other projects inside ASAP Imagination, Lori Cunningham and Chess. Lori and Chess, how are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking to you. This is where we're, we're talking to. This is an international podcast right now because we have Lori City calling us from Calgary and we got Chess from Utah. Before we jump into it, we're, we're working on, we're, we're, we're talking a lot from with, uh, with the, some creative folks from ASAP Imagination. And right now we have Lori Cunningham, who is the editor in chief and also the writer some works from ASAP Imagination. And plus we have Chess, who is also a illustrator, an artist, a letterer, graphic designer. Let's first kind of introduce both of you, talk about how you kind of got involved, started getting involved in ASAP Imagination. And what we'll do is we'll go alphabetical order. So Chess, we'll start with you. How did you get involved with ASAP Imagination? Uh, well, I started actually as an intern. Um, like I, I was telling you earlier, um, you know, I was, I had a very specific weird sort of degree that I was pursuing in my college studies. It's called like an interdisciplinary studies degree. So they let me do like, it was like a choose your own adventure book, but for student debt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so graduation required that I do an internship. And, you know, shockingly enough, I was kind of struggling to find a place to do an internship because it's not like I was going into law school. So eventually uh, I talked to my uncle, Mark, who's a alumni of West Point, and he kindly offered to put out my, you know, advertisement, if you will, for an internship on the West Point alumni career page. And lo and behold, Nemesis was on there and he was able to put me in contact with Hades and I got an internship and I guess they didn't hate me so bad that they got rid of me once I graduated. So I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lori, how did you start getting involved in ASAP Imagination? Um, so I met Hades online, just through Twitter, but it's just like a total chance encounter, maybe about almost four years ago now. And at the time he was doing like the old nine to five and stuff, but obviously I knew he was at the comics and stuff. So he, I was kind of with him as he kind of decided to leave the nine to five and go branch out and try and chase that dream and stuff. So, and then I was really just planning on being just a friend on the sidelines, just cheering him on. But then I had had a baby and I was trying to write and we had always talked about doing a project together. And we just kind of had this idea that it just, I guess timing just kind of worked out where he had this idea to basically write this anthology around, circled around this event. So that's where we co-authored this, the book, uh, Points of Villainy, Points of Virtue. And 
yeah, like from there, it was just, it was a super fun, like it's about 16 stories all centered around this event. And basically the, like once it was done, I'm kind of like, great, okay, now go, go forth and <laughs> carry on with your business. I'll be here on the sidelines cheering you on. And, but he wanted to keep me in and the way it kind of worked, uh, I guess two of the stories are kind of linked in the book and the way, um, when we were both writing our stories, we kind of had to match up timelines and I had to kind of rewrite one of my stories and eventually he's like, this is a comic book character. He's like, you should write a comic, you should write, like, write the comic book for this. And I didn't have a ton of history in comics. Like I watched the cartoons and stuff when I was little and just like the 90s, like Ninja Turtles and X-Men and stuff, Spider-Man. So I wasn't super eager to do it, I guess. But uh, I guess he, when he starts talking about things, it's hard not to want to get involved. And he believed in me and was willing to show me the ropes of how to script and stuff. So I kind of just went for it and started writing a comic. And when, once you're in, it's impossible to get out. <laughs> not that you want to or anything either. So yeah, I just started writing it and that was kind of it. And had now I got now I got a comic book out there about a year and a half later. So I'm just fully fully in it and no turning back. It's tons of fun. Right. And so for for those that uh might not have heard the interview we with did we did with Hades a few weeks ago. What the book you're talking about is the points of villainy, points of virtue, correct? Yeah. 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 Do you want to kind of give people a little bit of a, a synopsis of, of what that what that book was about? Yeah, for sure. So basically, in all of our main continuity center happens in London. It's centered around kind of this one big paranormal, mysterious, catastrophic event that just decimates London. And so we each wrote six or we each wrote eight stories. So there's kind of two anthologies of one, and it's a flip book. So you read points of villainy, and then you literally flip over the book, and then points of virtue, and then there's kind of eight stories on one and eight stories on the other. And so it's just all these kind of it's 16 different perspectives of people going through this event and just this basically this living nightmare and all, and it's different for all of them. So it kind of gives you the perspective of what was going on when this all happened from all these different random points of view around the city. And then basically like the main continuity kind of expands from there. There's kind of like before, and then there's the event. And then there's all these stories that we're currently working on all of the post event stories. So that's where like all of them kind of come from and like how that moment changed all these people. Right. Um, now, Looking at the, so the series itself, um, you have the main continuity series, which is separate of the any one world. So that's separate to this. Now with the with the ASAP, the main continuity series, you have Sister Grimm, which is yours, the that the, the issue that you wrote. You have Dead yeah. of Night, Opsec, Messiah, and Hole, which Chess worked on as well. Uh, yeah. So does this, do you, so my understanding is that Messiah is the first issue that was the first series that came out, correct? Yeah. So way back in 2020 now, Messiah and Points of Villainy, Points of Virtue were the very first two books that we released. We released them at the same time and it was kind of the launch of the main continuity. Mm. So Messiah was done by Hades and Kyle Wright and then this year we've kind of had a big push to for the new issues and that's the other four kind of 
there was there was a lot in the works last year <laughs> behind the scenes and this year was putting it all out there and getting it out so yeah big right. year this year <laughs> now would i have to read messiah first before i picked up and read sister grim no no they're all different stories eventually they'll connect and stuff and you'll there'll be cameos but it's all the same universe i think the Reading points of only points of virtue, I think it's a good kind of anchor point that gives you good context for kind of what's going on since everything, there's always reference to the event. So I think that was, and again, you don't need to read that, but that just kind of gives you kind of more insight. Like you could read the comics and just be like, oh, what's this event? And learn about it in the comics. And it doesn't matter which series, if you want to just follow one or all of them, but everything you read gives you more context. <laughs> okay. Um, and so in, in that series, so Sister Grimm is, uh, came out in July, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now you wrote, you wrote, this is the one that you wrote and Hades basically said, Hey, Lori, I want, can you write a, can you write a comic book? And this was the first time you ever written in it, written in <laughs> yeah. this form, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the debut comic book. So yeah, it's my first one and the artist's first one and Chess's first time lettering. So it was a, it's pretty cool that there's a whole bunch of firsts. <laughs> right. So so how did that so I wanna so 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 talk to us a bit about that is so so Chess, you were this was the first time you've actually as she as Laura said, this is the first time you've lettered a comic book as well? Um, professionally, yeah, I've done a number of other just personal project comics um, through the course of my studies at university. Um, so I lettered those ones, but this was the first time that, you know, there were consequences if it wasn't any good. So <laughs> took a little bit of extra, you know, TLC for Sister Grimm. Mm. So what would it, so what were some of the things you learned about that of lettering that you kind of taught yourself during this as this was like, you know, your the a, a professional gig, as you said, for your first time. Yeah. So um, I was really excited. Uh, I want to say it released a, like November or something of last year. It might've been earlier, but uh, a really great letterer by the name of, I want to say it's Nate Picos. I could be getting that wrong though. So, if, you know, I understand if, the true comic nerds are going to get mad at me, but I think that's the name. And he released a definitive guide on lettering. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'll just read this and then I'll know how to do it. And of course, you know, it still takes a lot of practice, but, you know, it's just going through the guides of like, you know, what, what do the cat whisker marks mean and how do we organize the the balloons so it has a good flow of reading you know how can we better indicate character intonation and uh characterization you know just giving the lettering you know the the primary goal of any lettering job is of course clarity of storytelling but then you also want to you know i i would like it best if the lettering felt like it belonged in the comic, you know, like it matches the the art style and, you know, the vision of the writer and just feels like it's just a natural part of that world. Like it's so um, fused into it that you don't even notice it. Mm. And, and so I'm kind of curious as well, like how do you work on uh, your style? Did you, are you hand lettering these or are you using, uh, fonts that you have to manipulate? How does that work for you? 
yeah, I do digital lettering at the moment. You know, someday I think it would be really fun to attempt hand lettering, but that requires good handwriting, and I'm not quite there yet. So, someday. <laughs> oh, so so Lori, talk to us a bit about the character sister Grim. Did you invent this character, or is this character mentioned at all in in, in points of villain villainy, points of virtue? Yeah, so I, I guess invented her. That feels like a weird way of saying that I created her, but yeah. Um, so again, when when uh, Hades proposed this anthology, like I told him he was crazy and I, like, I don't have time for this. I was dealing kind of with postpartum depression and all that stuff. And um, but it, as soon as he said it, like I got off the phone with him and I was basically like, oh, I have an idea. <laughs> and I started writing a story. And it was the very first story I wrote for that anthology, but I wrote it from the daughter's perspective. And these are like the two, the two uh, stories and that kind of connect the two sides. So you kind of flip it over and eventually you read it from Lily's perspective, who's the character's sister, Grimm. And um, yeah, she has this like, that was, she has this like essentially encounter with death in its physical form in uh, points of villainy, points of virtue. And then sister Grimm is basically, so, so I guess it's kind of a sequel to be fair, or maybe I guess you consider points of villainy, points of virtue, a prequel, but a bit more of an origin story. Like it gives you a hint to what, to why she has, why she is <laughs> the way she is. And um, so this basically starts three months after the event and she has no memory. She wakes up in a morgue and she's basically doesn't know where her family is and she's just trying to get back to her family, but she has these abilities that basically are causing her a lot of problems and they throw in her whole world for a loop. So she's kind of dealing with all that and struggling with how to, she's struggling with how to find her place in the world again. She's, it's, it's basically like this kind of dark, depressing <laughs> little thing, but I make sure to throw in some humor. So <laughs> people don't read this and are super down afterwards, but yeah. So that's kind of the, the basic idea behind this first issue. Okay, so what's her what's her superpower then? If that's, she have a superpower? <laughs> well, I haven't. I, yeah, like I haven't um, blatantly said anything. Like as you read through, you're gonna learn things. But her name is Sister Grim, so that should give you some hints. <laughs> if you want to read into the title, which you should, <laughs> you'll learn a few hints. And the fact that she used to be a doctor kind of kind of counteracts some of that. So. <laughs> And and so how <laughs> this is going to be an ongoing series. So you're going to be having this four issues or ten issues, or this is going to be going on for as long as it goes on. Um. So this first one is we're kind of doing it's a four issue arc. So basically, after the fourth issue, a whole bunch of loose ends will be tied up, and then we'll likely combine it into a graphic novel so you can you can buy all the issues you can buy the digital issues and you can buy the graphic novel with all the bonus material and stuff so yeah and then after that like there's definitely plans to keep her going and keep all these series going and eventually intertwine them and yeah keep them going as long as people are interested in them okay and and so and so chess you're gonna you're the letterer for all the issues of sister grim I am, yes. So hopefully I can uh, prove to improve uh, <laughs> over the course of the series. <laughs> yeah. Best efforts for first attempt, but hopefully I'll get better as time goes on. <laughs> yeah, you did great. <laughs> the first oh, attempt you. great. You did great. <laughs> 
It's stupid and how so, much you stress over font size. I mean, are people going to be able to read this or like 20-year-olds going to be like, bring me my reading glasses? <laughs> but you're also, but but Chess, you're also the artist for the latest uh, the latest series, which is, which is whole, correct? Correct. Yeah. Right. Now talk to us a bit about what whole is. So whole is a, uh, a story that happens. The first issue at least happens immediately sort of in the immediate aftermath of the event. Um, it's designed to be from the perspective of the main character, Alicia, as you know, she, finds herself in the debris and the rubble of a decimated London. And, you know, I can't do too many spoilers. It's very secretive and Hades will get mad at me if I say too much. So I have to pick my words carefully. Um, There's certain uh, interested third parties that she's going to encounter and they may or may not have particularly good intentions. Hmm. And so... Is this also going to be a four, like a four series, uh, a, f- uh, a four issue story arc as well? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so I was curious, and I was talking to the the OPSEC folks on the, on this. Is that is there any plans on having some cross pollination of characters at all during the uh, during any of the first four issue series arcs? Well, I'm not the writer, so I can't <laughs> say for sure. <laughs> Basically, the whims of Hades dictates the fate of us all. So we'll see what he thinks. <laughs> what about you, Lori, as the editor-in-chief? How does that how does that work? Um, so my kind of main role with the continuity is um basically going over scripts and stuff and kind of looking at the formats and making sure that um, things make sense. The story kind of makes sense. And that, and at the end, I do the, do the grammar checks, the spell checks and all that stuff and make sure we're not missing anything. And we're looking for consistency since they're all coming from the same company and continuity and stuff. So we kind of want, don't want drastically different, but at the same thing, they're all, they're unique comics and unique styles. So I don't want to interfere with things too much. So it is kind of finding a balance. I I definitely want people to tell the stories that they want to tell, but we also have to look for consistency within the continuity. I want someone saying that someone died and meanwhile, someone's written another issue and that character appears over here or something. So we got to look for things like that. Like as more issues and more storylines and titles get released, it's going to get a little more complicated. So it's kind of keeping all of that in line and checking in with Hades and making sure that things kind of matches vision and we're not going rogue or anything like that. So, and it is, it's, and like you mentioned, kind of the appearances of other characters, like there's definitely little Easter eggs here and there where we try to connect them all. So we don't like, we don't slap you in the face for all of them, but we definitely try to put it out there. So the, the people who want to delve deep into the lore can find it all. Right. Right. Now, how, so how does this work? So you right now, so Laura, you you are the the main writer for Sister Grimm, um, and you were the editor in chief. How does how do you balance your time writing the script for Sister Grimm as compared to editing and proofreading 
the other creative works that are out there? <laughs> Balance is definitely one of those things that I like to pretend I'm good at, but I'm awful at. Um, it's it's really tricky, and I have like two small children as well, so it's definitely definitely. It's something that I'm always trying to figure out. I don't know. We kind of just like, we always talk about our, our name ended up being this thing that like everything is ASAP, <laughs> where it's whatever is the highest priority just comes up and bumps everything out of the way and whatever we get out. So it basically, it basically just comes all sequentially, like whatever's coming up next kind of gets the priority. And obviously writing is kind of tricky because I need to make sure like for issue two, I need to make sure my artist has enough time to get things out for our release dates. So it is kind of balancing and weaving everything in. Like it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> I'm not, not trying to toot my own heart. If anything, it's like I'm crying for help over here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It really is. I don't really, I, I know people like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just tired all the time. And <laughs> But it, I think it's just, it's just love. Right? You just love it. So you just keep doing it and figuring it out. Right. Hope everything works together and hope people are forgiving when I don't have time and all that jazz. So. Right. And, and so, so the, so the same question for you, Chess, is because you are the, you're the artist for whole, but you're also the letterer and you have other, uh, other jobs as well. How do you balance the priorities and, and how do you manage your, um, your, your creative energies and how do you prioritize that? Um, yeah. So usually it's just kind of, you know, checking the, the deadlines for things. That was something that I remember discussing with Hades when I started my internship. He's like, you know, what sort of accommodations do you need? You need to tell me a day. Just, you know, just say, you know, as soon as you can get to it, I won't get to it. Don't do that to me. Just give me a number. <laughs> say, you know, it's got to be like Mission Impossible. It's like, should you choose to accept this mission? You have 24 hours. Just say a number. <laughs> so usually that kind of ends up everyone else sort of just kind of helps me figure out a deadline. And then I can just, you know, sort from there. Well, you know, this takes me approximately this much time and it's due then. So it should go first and this one will go next. So, but I don't think I have nearly as many responsibilities as Lori. So, you know, <laughs> I think I got the, the easier portion of, you know, the work. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I'm also curious too, then Lori is like looking at it from your perspective of being that editor in chief position is what is it a, is it a benefit or drawback to work in a, you know, a job where somebody is always up, like at least if there's, if it's an office that you go to that it's like a, a, some local business, you know, it goes from nine to five or eight to four. And then, you know, you're not getting emails, but working in a place that somebody is always up and somebody is always working and somebody's always <laughs> asleep. How do you, how do you balance that for perspectives of, of, um, you know, response time for questions and things like that. Um, I think it has its pros and cons because I know, especially with Hades, he's seven hours ahead of me. So there's definitely times where I like, because I have my kids, I tend to do my best work at nighttime and 
in theory, he's sleeping. He's a bit of an insomniac nocturnal man, but uh, <laughs> so so sometimes when I, I, we both just wake up to messages where like the other person has been working a whole bunch. It's just like, here's all the stuff I did and all the stuff I need you to do. It's just like tag out, go to sleep. And then it's the next person. So in a weird way, it's like kind of, something's always going on and there's so you like even when you're sleeping there's always progress so that's nice and same thing when when my son was born I was just and yeah I guess even my daughter like I just be up for late night feedings and stuff and I could get some work done and someone would be awake so it definitely has some pros for that but does have some cons in that you there isn't really like an end to it to some extent. Like you're just all like you, you do need to make sure you kind of set some boundaries. You're like, okay, like I need to go to bed or, or like I'm going on vacation or need like a day off and stuff. So you do need to, cause I think that's the tricky part where when everyone's all over the world that there's this appearance that we're just always available and that everyone's always available. And it's really, we don't always want is for everyone for everyone we work with like all of our like all the creators and stuff we, we don't we want like a response time <laughs> we want good communication but we don't want people to feel the need to be tied to their phones and stuff that's on all the time if like we understand people have lives and stuff so it's yeah it's 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 weird like there's definitely pros and cons but i think that for us and obviously being global it makes it so like the nice thing where it's like if i'm asleep and one of our creators on the other side of the world is awake and Hades is awake or Chess is awake. Like it works out where people can just contact different people and <laughs> can put up fires as necessary or just, or enough things aren't urgent. We can kind of wait until and reconvene until <laughs> most, most people are awake at least and kind of discuss things. So it's a good, it's a good thing to work at being a, an, uh, multi-time zone work environment, especially if you're an insomniac, you always have somebody you can talk to at that time. So that's the benefit, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah. Chess, from the creative perspective, of, from the creative perspective of things, uh, you do your own comics as well. Um, mm-hmm. How do you balance uh, your own creative endeavors to your paid endeavors? What advice would you give to other comic creators to um, make sure that you save a little bit of creative energy for your own work? What advice would you give? Yeah, um, I feel like it's actually kind of what fuels me in many ways. You know, having other projects to work on. If there's a stall with working on ASAP projects, I'll just quickly do some tiny little thing with a different project and that gets you know the creative mindset back in and then when i get back to you know asap projects but oh well now i want to do this i had this grand idea and now i'm going to do it and so it just um i feel like actually having you know some personal projects on the side really helps you know keep this feeling more like just something to do for fun than technically really a job i mean I don't know who was it. I, I want to say it was like Peter O'Toole, but he's like, I act for free. You know, I do everything else. That's what they pay me for. It's just, you know, I love my job. You know, it's, I'm not digging ditches. I'm drawing comic books. <laughs> so, you know, just having, you know, some side things, you know, to, to play with, you know, to tinker around with, it just reminds me that, you know, this, this is what I've been wanting to do since forever. You know, I, right. I get to do my dream job right out of college. Like who gets to do that? 
so so talk about how do you how do you separate how do you plot out your day then and what what's your what's your day like I'm terrible at that part <laughs> <laughs> I usually just kind of wake up to my alarm and I'll you know clean myself up so I'm not a gremlin of grossness and I go downstairs and I plop my computer in front of me my drawing tablet on my lap and I've got my smaller Lenovo tablet over there playing YouTube Let's Plays of indie horror video games. And then I just draw and somehow people consider me a professional after all that shenanigans. <laughs> and what about you, Lori? How do you, how do you manage your day? Um, so I think I just have my phone on me and as I have moments, <laughs> I basically try and get what I can do done, <laughs> basically. Like, again, like I, I'm basically full-time momming right now because my daughter's almost three and my son is six months old. So it's basically as I have time and thankfully I have a very supportive family who are willing to kind of take do the babysitting and help out so i do can take some bigger breaks and stuff and get things done like it, it's really hard doing kind of five minutes here 15 minutes there and stuff and obviously there's this magical moment where sometimes they're both napping at the same time where i'm like i have 45 minutes <laughs> so it's, it's, it's basically just i had to get to the point where just whatever time i could find i just needed to make the most of it and obviously sometimes I'm exhausted and there's just no time for that and there's other stuff in life that comes up but I definitely look at me pre-kid and pre-kids and it's like, wow, did I ever not appreciate all of the free time? <laughs> it's like now like, every moment is precious because I do love this stuff. So I, I try, need to find ways to sneak it in. And it's not, again, it's not easy, but it's kind of, you make time for the things that are important for you, right? So that's what it's important to me. So I find time, whether it's five minutes at a time or if I can get some babies that are helping get bigger chunks. Right. Right. Um, and so how do you, what, is there any specific tools or techniques or, or, or apps that you, that you found that that's become very helpful for you with your editing and writing that you would recommend? Um, I honestly just you I Google Docs actually has been pretty useful. I wasn't super reliant on it, but it's great for sharing with people. And then also it's has like the phone compatibility. As I used to like, if I'm just writing on my laptop, I just write on Word because it's what's on my computer, what I installed once upon a time before it became a subscription service, I think. But now um, Google Docs, like same thing where if I'm just out and about and can write some things on my phone, editing I find is a little harder. I can read on my phone, but it's really hard to go in and kind of write comments, comments and to do the punctuation stuff. So typically I need to set aside some time, but I think that's really all I use for that. And then like we, like I know for a lot of the other little bits and stuff, I bits and pieces I do here, like Canva is a pretty useful thing just for kind of graphics and stuff. I know, I know Chess has way more graphic design skills than I have, but every now and then Canva does does the job when it needs to. And I like I basically, basically whenever we need to learn a skill, it's like, well, time to learn some new software, like whatever's free and like, oh, we've got GIMP and all this stuff. So. <laughs> Whatever, that's the thing when you're a small company and you don't have a big team of people, you basically, you just have to learn how to do little bits of pieces of all of it. And thankfully, as more people kind of join the team, we can kind of 
I guess, allocate things to people's talents better, which is nice. You don't have to just learn every little thing and kind of just be mediocre at all of it. You can start specializing and be better in certain areas. Right. Now, so uh, talk to us a bit about the difference between when you write your long form prose that you did, for instance, with points of villainy, points of virtue, as compared to writing a comic book script like Sister Grimm, how different was that for you? How much of a, a pivot did you have to do as a writer? Um, I think it was, for me, it was actually like quite the change because I don't think I was, I never really think I was one of those people who would kind of picture everything in my head super visually. Like it's just kind of, as it came out on the paper, that's kind of what it looked like. Whereas once I, and again, you like when you're writing long form, it's like you got description and you're like, doing facial expressions whereas like in comics the artist is doing that like you're you have to kind of explain the same things but it's way more in point form and it's kind of more you're looking for almost more of like a mood and stuff so it's a lot of stuff that it doesn't matter how I describe it when you're writing comics it's more like that I describe it and that the artist is able to take what I describe and draw it because none of the words like it doesn't matter how eloquently i describe someone's face it's what the artist draws so and like what they look like so it's definitely kind of let, letting go and trusting your artist because it becomes definitely becomes a big collaboration and then i had to kind of force myself to start thinking more visually and like how things are going to be laid out on the page and you have to whereas again like the short stories we didn't we don't really have word limits and lots of times when you're writing short stories there's kind of like a range you kind of typically have to hit your hit your story within whereas in comics you got 22 pages or at least for our issues that's how we're doing it so you, you the story has to end on that last page so and same thing where it's just like you you, you don't have the way you kind of have to build tension and stuff you have that dramatic reveal when you flip the page so again i've had moments where i'm like oh no the reveal is on the wrong side i'm like do I delete stuff? Is it that important? Or do I add something and kind of, so you can have that like big reveal when you turn the page. So it's definitely a whole different way of thinking and it's super fun. And and once the artists start getting a hand of it, because the same thing, it's like, just because you finish the script doesn't mean you've done the story. Like you worked on all the layouts, but then the artist starts giving you things back. And there's been a few times where I'm like, Ooh, that didn't look in my head quite the way I thought it was. So what if we do this and this and change this or, or then I think there's also a lot of times where um, there's a whole bunch of details I just kind of have in my head. And then all of a sudden there's like, the artist will come back and be like, oh, I guess we need to like, actually, like I, I know in one of my panels, I'm just like, oh yeah, there's like a picture of a street sign. And the, the artist just sent it back blank. And he's just like, what, what streets do you want in here? I'm like, oh man, I guess I have to pick a place for her to live. So <laughs> like little, yeah. little details like that. And then you'd be like, you got to make sure you don't forget all those things. You end up with quite this little note, note packet that like normally would be in the script or like in the words, but like now it's this big side kind of dictionary that you have. So yeah, it's, 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 it's weird because I think it's like, not super different, but at the same time, it's way different. So I, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> like you're still trying to tell a story and connect with your reader and stuff, but it's just a different format. Right. Now, so for you, Chess, how different is it for you to take a comic book script and and draw for it like in whole as compared to do, being a comic creator and making your own comics? Yeah, it's it's definitely different. 
Well, and, you know, part of the advantage of, you know, being both the the script writer and the artist for a comic project is that with the panels, it's just like, you know, and it looks kind of like this and the character says that and maybe it's got this sound effect. And I already know what it looks like. I'm the one picturing it. But when you receive a script, it's like you're trying to mind read and you don't know if you're doing it right. So... Sometimes a problem I have constantly is I'll do a thumbnail on a panel and then I'll go back to the script and, oh, darn, I forgot this detail that, you know, was mentioned in the script. Well, I better go back and redo the thumbnail. And so it's it's this interesting process of trying to it's like when you read a novel and you can picture what's going on in your head. But then you talk to anyone else and they're like, oh, I didn't picture it like that. I thought it looked more like this. And it's just trying to figure out, you know, where's the balance of, you know, trying to figure out exactly what was in the writer's head and what you as an artist need to do to input your own um, specifications into mm. the panel to, to really make it uh, something that's immersive and, you know, engaging to look at, right? Right. And, and so, but are you also the letterer for Hole as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will okay. be doing the lettering for that as well. So that makes it a bit easier for you because I know it's if you know usually independent letterers if they don't have enough room on the comic they will just move a picture over or they'll figure out how to do that. So does that make that easier for you to be able to or harder for you that you also have to think about where the word bubbles go? I find it easier just because as I'm doing you know the tiny you know, lousy thumbnails with stick figures. I'll just put, you know, this sentence is about this big balloon. And then it's right. just, you know, in my head that this space, don't put anything fancy in this space. It will be for naught. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, with, with that said, uh, how much, when you look at what the script is, as things evolve as you get to issue two, issue three, issue four, and so on and so forth. How much permission do you give yourself to give feedback to the writer to say, you described this completely wrong. I'm the artist. I know what's going on in this picture. It's like, how, at what point do you able to do that? Or are you doing that? Did you already do that with the first, with the issue one? I've probably already done it a little bit, but I have this horrible tendency to take the philosophy of better task forgiveness than permission. <laughs> I do it like this. Do you like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, trying not to be a toxic work relationship, but I guess that's my toxic trait. <laughs> Just impose my will and then, you know, act all sad and pouty if you didn't like it. I suppose I can do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so Lori, when you, when you sit down and, and you work as editor-in-chief, are you also the editor-in-chief of any one world or just the main continuity stuff? <laughs> of all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so what do you do when you actually have some of those uh, works that have already been published, like dog eaters and some of the other ones that have already done. What do you do from the editor in chief perspective? Is there any tweaking that, that you feel obligated to do? 
Um, there's a few things like again, like so something like dog eaters, like it came to us like fully drawn and stuff, and there like we tend to have a relationship with kind of the main creators. So when something's kind of ready to go, we're not gonna go back and necessarily tell someone that they can um that they need to go change their whole book or anything like that. So it's kind of just we basically wherever people are at the process in the process of things, like we are trying to help them along the way. So some people come to us just with an idea and like we're like, how can we help you? And we kind of have a discussion and figure out where we fit in and then what we can do to help people move along. Like some people I'm some people I am I think I'm helping them edit scripts and helping them with panel layout. And then some people are further along and they're just mostly looking for more of a publisher and distribution and some marketing help. And so we're basically just wanna, wanna lift people up where we can, like we're indies and we all, everyone starts somewhere, right? And I think that the indie world can be pretty lonely or even the traditionally published world can be pretty lonely, but like it's so much easier when you build a community of people and like a lot of indie is word of mouth. And so if you have more mouths working behind you, so that's how we try to build the community. And yeah, so it's basically wherever wherever we can fit in and help people. So and it doesn't matter really what stage along the process is. So some some things are very more hands-on and some things where it's kind of more, we're doing the finishing touches. And if we can do edits here and there, depending what kind of, it, it, it depends on a lot of a lot of stuff and where people are at their process. And so, what would you say as the editor in chief is the um, the mission of ASAP Imagination? What's the what's the company mission like? Um, I don't know if we actually have a, a, an official mission statement, but I think it's we're really just trying to get our stories out there and kind of make make indies like something worth re- noticing and stuff and getting our stuff read like we all have stories to tell and I know there's big comic book companies out there that dominate a lot of a lot of people's vision <laughs> I guess they're the, like they're front and center and stuff so I think what we're out there just to kind of give indies a name and like there's and that's why that's why we didn't just want the main continuity we wanted the any one world as well so we can kind of help lift up other people and we want to connect with people and readers and find fans. It's really just about connecting with people and sharing ideas and hoping that they resonate with people. And do you have though, but is there hypothetically speaking, somebody shows up and says, Hey, I got a great comic. Here it is. I want to do it. Is there a level where you say, eh, it's not really our fit. So what would, what give it some examples of, would there be any, anyone that would approach that would have a, have a series that you would feel isn't quite a fit for ASAP imagination? Um, in the anyone world, we're, we're pretty focused on horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and superheroes. So I think if you, like, there's definitely room for people to come in. And we do have ASAP minis, which is our kids' platform. So if you're coming in with a children's book idea, like, there's definitely room for that. But I know there's some people, like, if you're Coming in with young adult ideas don't necessarily have to, we want to work to our capabilities and we don't want to basically promise things that we can't deliver if we don't kind of have that connection with people because like our main continuity in any one world is very targeted towards adults and so if you're coming with us with romance or erotica like we just don't really have that audience with us and maybe eventually we kind of set up another another platform and do that but 
we want to work to our strengths and we want other people to like we, we want to be able to offer people something that's of value to them so you don't want to promise things that we can't deliver right right okay cool um so so chess you have your issue coming out this month august yeah. 2022 um and <laughs> and you're already working on issue number two already drawing that out now well um we're still in beginning you know pre-production stages of that but yeah we should be you know really getting the ball rolling on that pretty shortly. So yeah, okay. I'm excited. Hades was saying that he's going to try to do what, two a month, two issues a month coming out once you, the rhythm starts happening or did I surprise you as the <laughs> editor in chief that that's. No, 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 no. Then we've gone over the timeline. Yeah. We just have, we have, a, we have some more titles coming and we have some, we, we got constant issues. We've got a lot of our, yeah, we, we just have a lot of titles and a lot of issues, so it's gonna, it's good, probably gonna be more than one a month, like two a month, right. three a month, and as we grow, it's just gonna be more and more. So yeah, it's it's busy and it's fun, but so eventually people there'll just be all kinds of all kinds of you can eat up every month and spend your money on. <laughs> right, perfect. Well, you know, thank you so much, Chess and, and, and Laura. This has been a great conversation. Um, and so, Chess, uh, if somebody wants to learn more about your work, what would be the best place they could go to? Yeah, um, I can be found at my website, ChessComics.com. That's where I try to put all of my you know, various and sundry work, regardless of you know, who I'm collaborating with or if it's my own independent work. Um, and of course, you know, you can find Hole and uh, Sister Grimm, which I did the lettering for on ASAPImagination.com, you know, all lowercase, you know, no hyphens, nothing to confuse anyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and Lori, where, Lori, where if people want to discover more of your work, what would be the best place they could go? Um, so asapimagination.com is where all of my ASAP stuff is, obviously. And then I also have my own website, which is lacunningham.com, which has some of my other projects I've been working on. And I think one of the like more upcoming places that people can learn things is ASAP Imagination actually has our own Comic-Con that we're doing online this month, next week, on the 25th and 26th. So we're basically having a whole, basically bombarding all of the social media and people can come learn about stuff and do a whole bunch of our um, various, we have panels and giveaways and um, like fan art competitions and game shows and find uh, find everything that you could ever imagine <laughs> that you could ever dream of. August 25th and August 26th, 2022. So... Yeah, Perfect. so a lot of it's happening on YouTube and Instagram, and we'll be releasing a schedule soon. So possibly today, maybe, maybe not today, but but very very <laughs> soon. So keep an eye out. <laughs> we love to love people to drop by and come join us and celebrate with us because that's we're basically doing it in line with our two year anniversary. So it's going to be a big celebration. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lori. Thank you so much, Chess. It's been a great pleasure talking to both of you. And come back on when you got your other issues coming out. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so thank much. You.
that's like the I don't know, was it the all time the tides lifting all boats? Oh, I shouldn't have started trying to pull out some random proverb on the dark reef. I, I can I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Lori. Let me let me timestamp this. I'll let me timestamp this and I'll edit it out and I'll let you say what that phrase is. And people are like, she's awesome. No worries, no worries. So I, 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 do the, I do live podcasts all the time. Do stupid things all the time. So I'm used to it. But What uh, was it? It was um, um, high yeah, tides lift all fine. boats or yeah. something like that. High tides lift all boats. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's something about, it's something about tides lifting boats. I think it's rising tides, raising Anyways, anyways, but yeah, basically we're just trying to lift everyone up. We're a big ocean. We're lifting up everyone's boats. <laughs> we're just lifting people up. But, uh, yeah, we just we just want to help as many people as we can and help people get their stories out there and including our own. We got stuff right. to say. And-